Well, hello there, folks. This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. Thank you for listening to what is becoming a very popular podcast. So thank you all for listening. And if you're brand new, welcome aboard. This is a really fun show where we get to talk about growth, scaling, building an app, side hustling. Good golly. This is literally one of my favorite of the recent episodes because it's just so meaningful to a lot of the stuff that I've been doing. This is Justin Esgar. He's an entrepreneur. He's a technologist. He's a growth geek. He's the author of Appitalize on Your Idea, which I actually I did buy because that's how much I enjoyed the discussion. It's really cool. Anyways, you're going to love it. But before we jump into there, speaking of Appitalize and Capitalize and do good things, I am proud to be sponsored and supported by a bunch of amazing folks, including, of course, because if you want to be protected, there's two important ways to do it. Number one, make sure you have everything you need for your data protection needs protected by the fine folks at Veeam Software. I can say this with truth that I use the platform love the team, love the technology, and love the outcomes that they get. So if you want to find out more about how Veeam can protect you and everything that you need for your data protection needs, then you want to head over to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and that's how you can find out more. Great platform, great community. All right, just do it. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Hey, speaking of protection, isn't privacy really one of the most protected things you'd think? But in fact, it's not. And if you want to make sure that you are protected, because really privacy, as far as I'm concerned, is a human right. And so do the folks over at ExpressVPN. So if you want to find out how to protect your data in transit anywhere you are, uh, this is a thing you should do. It protects you from cookies and crazy advertisements and stuff that you just don't want. Right? Let's let's keep safe. It's a crazy world out there. So if you want to go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse, you can get a little bit of a bonus there. So just go check it out. Again, go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse. Huge shout out to the folks over at ExpressVPN. Thank you. All right. And what in the places that you often find those naughty Wi-Fi's is in coffee shops. There's an easier way to avoid that. And that's just don't go to a coffee shop. Just buy the best coffee you can at home. Devilishly good coffee from Diabolical Coffee. So there you go. Go to diabolicalcoffee.com. All right, let's get to the good show. This is Justin Escar. I love it. I hope you love it. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin here from Virtual Consulting, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. I love professionals. This is cool. You you've done so much really great media, Justin. It's a fantastic chance to finally be on this side of the microphone where I can converse with you. I've taken in <laughs> ton of your content. You are uh, a great speaker, a great human. You're doing really neat stuff in the tech world. Uh, so I want to dive in. So for folks that are new to you, Justin, uh, if you want to introduce yourself fully and we'll talk about virtual consulting, we're going to talk about capitalizing the world and and a lot of great things. Sure. So, yeah, my name is Justin Escar. I'm the owner of the Virtual Consulting Group. We are a conglomerated company mixed of virtual computers, which is our Apple-focused IT consulting firm, uh, more commonly known as an MSP, virtual consulting, where I do business coaching and consulting for other small businesses, mostly in the IT world, but sometimes not. We have 
Virtual XYZ, which is our software and new hardware arm where we do apps for consultants. We just released our first USB-C dock called the Virtue Dock. And we have virtual conferences, which hosts our annual ACES conference, which is all about the business side of IT consulting, as well as our mastermind program, which is our year-long learning program. So a lot of things happening all right under that same title. So how do you fit it in? Good golly. It's, it's, it's first of all, congratulations on the breadth and the success that you're you're getting in the ecosystem. It really you've got such a great energy, which I imagine you must have to pour <laughs> into all of these things. Uh, so where did it all begin? So, I mean, I've always been into technology. You know, I got my first Mac when I was 12. I got my first Apple computer when I was five. I mean, I've told this story a thousand times. I've, I, I went to Florida with my mom, as good Jewish families do from Long Island over Christmas break. And I come home and on the dining room table is a brand new Apple IIc that my dad spent like $12,000 on. And whilst <laughs> my parents were arguing about the price, I found this thing fascinating. And got into it, and I've always been into like to excuse me. I've always been into technology since then, um, and you know I've always wanted to start my own IT company ever since. You know, growing up, I, you know Steve Jobs was my idol, Big, Bill Gates was my idol. You know, I, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be a giant. So I so over time I started getting into coding. I did a little bit of web development, and then in 2004 I was looking for a job. I'd been out of college for a couple of years. Not a great market. I mean, I guess they say that every year. Um, and, you know, I ended up landing a job at an Apple consultancy in New York City. And the guy who ran that company wasn't that great of a business person, kind of. And then he sold it to another company and things didn't really work out. And so in 2008, I started my own company called Virtual Computers. And that's how I got started with everything, right? From there, things happened. Um, so I released my first app called Sign My Pad in 2011 when the iPad came out and the introduction to the app store. And that came out because at virtual computers, we were doing these like paperwork tickets where I would go on site to a client. I'd give them a copy. They'd sign a copy. I'd take it home. And I had a studio apartment in New York city that I paid enormous amounts of rent for a very small space. And it was being taken up by all this paper. So one day I was playing on the iPad and I realized that I can draw my signature on it. That led me to lead into building sign my pad. Building some my pad and starting to do apps got me on some of the tech conference circuits talking about my experiences of, you know, being an app developer without actually knowing how to code. I outsourced everything and that all formulated and turned into Appitalize on your idea. From there, going to conferences, I realized that all the conferences were tech focused. Here's how to deploy a printer to 500 computers with three keystrokes. And I'm like, that doesn't resonate with me when I have 20 clients none of which have the same printer. Also, printers should die. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but like somebody, <laughs> side note, somebody told me this the other day. They're like, we have now sent more people to the moon in like the last year. Like, why can't we just make printers work? Like, why, <laughs> like how is that? If, if, if Elon and Jeff Bezos put money into printer technology, like the whole thing would be solved. Okay, so, so because of that, I realized that there weren't, any good business related conferences. I've always really been into the business side of things. And when I did start my company, I was doing things the way my old boss did. And like I said earlier, he wasn't that great of a business manager. 
So I would go to these tech conferences and I would ask other consultants and people I knew at the conference, like, how do you do tickets? How do you deal with clients? How do you do marketing? And like, no one knew, nobody knew the answer. Nobody knew what was wow. popping and stuff like that. So I was like, well, there's something for me. And so we started the conference and then from there that grew as well. So like all of these things kind of all stem from the same. And I always give it all credits back to my dad in 1985. So love you. Um, and, and that's kind of just how the whole thing happened. So isn't it, first of all, one of the most fantastic story and and agree with you wholly on the, uh, we should say RIP printers uh, forever. <laughs> the I love the Apple story because I remember it as a kid, like coming home from school. And why was it the dining room table that was always the place where it landed? Like that's, I uh, like the kitchen well, was the, the thing back then. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays we have a dedicated workspace and a second workspace and a yeah. rec room. Yeah. So it was, and I remember that moment of doing like not even knowing what to do with it, but just knowing that, like Lisa, I could draw a picture on it, right? Like it was literally that that visceral of an immediate understanding of how to use this for something that was fun. And then from there started to program and, and do neat things. It was wild to see how quickly it just set in. I find it funny that like as a technologist, you know, I back in 1985, we used to get some magazine that had Apple code or whatever it is. And like that was the centerfold of this magazine. You're like, oh, what was in you? We don't. Hey, what was in your? You know, you're you're a young kid. You're a young boy. You're like, what's in your centerfold? And it's like, oh, mine's lines of code that I'm going to put into a computer so I can play a crappy video game <laughs> that probably won't work, right? Um, that kind of stuff. Like, it just amazed me that like this simple thing, like a keyboard, can you know put pictures on a screen or you can play with. Remember the turtle? Like I don't know why this came to my mind. You said drawing. Remember turtle? That turtle little... on the on the icon computer was yeah. when my school was one, and yeah, and that was it. It was you know right one, right forty five, uh, forward one, back yeah. one. Yeah. I haven't thought of that in a while. That's gonna be a good memory. <laughs> but it's funny that it very much relates to now. Like that was consumer centric. Clearly, Jobs's vision was putting an Apple in every home, mm -hmm. not even at that point thinking of in the computer. And yet, here we are today, and it is. I'm I'm on a MacBook right now. I use an iPad for work. I use an iPhone for work. All my development team uses Apple hardware. So while it seemed like it was the home machine, and it's great for audio, video, etc., it's a fantastic work computer for especially for programmers and web developers. But now I'm seeing more and more just straight up business folks that are carrying around a few less Dell XPSs and a few more, you know, MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. And you're how have you seen it? IT guys are gripping on with Dell <laughs> life. That's right. Don't know Maps are garbage. Get a get a get, get a Dell. Like here, here's how I look at it. Honestly, like I don't care what you use because everyone's going to the same crappy internet. Like. The like the garbage and the filth that's on the internet can be accessible from either platform. The the question is, do you want your you want your computer to get a virus from it? Get a Mac. That's how you get it. That's right. Right. Um, I mean, the big break point obviously was the fact that software, like when Microsoft didn't want to do Office for Mac way back in the day, and they pulled out, and then they did that whole thing where like Gates was above Jobs, and the, when he came back, and all this stuff. 
like that was the marker for for other developers to not make Mac apps, and that's always what has trailed the Mac in terms of uh, uh, sort of thing of like exposure, right? Getting it out there into all these other businesses, because like you know. Ask any lawyer what computer they use, and they're all going to use PCs because lawyer time or whatever the app is that pops up an alert every six minutes being like, did you bill? Uh, That's only right. works on a PC, right? There is yeah. no Mac equivalent to it, and no one's going to write it because lawyers don't have Macs. Therefore, no one's going to write the program. Therefore, they're not going to get Macs, and it's, and it's just this rock in a hard place. Um, yeah, it's a real self-fulfilling prophecy because there's so many apps in their ecosystem. It just doesn't the the move to it would be so great that it's just too much of a shift. Yeah, I mean, I think the upside to this though is we're seeing a big move towards electron apps um, and not native apps. And whilst you lose some great functionality moving to an electron app from the native component, it will if other developers start taking that on, it will help move the paradigm and 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 shift more people going oh well if my lawyer time app works on a mac and it works the same way as it does on a pc and it's hosted in the cloud maybe i can get a mac maybe i can get an ipad and and that'd be great for my business so uh lawyer law firms that are developers that are listening hey. go go do that um do that but, thing <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing like a shameless plug right in there um <laughs> But like that's the issue, right? Until more companies build more Mac software, Macs won't infiltrate those verticals. Therefore, they're not going to want to build the software. So that's that's kind of a bite. That being said, there's plenty of stuff that's out there. I mean, my business at Virtual Computers, we have a lot of graphic design firms, as you can imagine. Um, we have a lot of like marketing departments inside of bigger firms, as you can imagine. We do a lot of work with nonprofit. Um, we're very big and then at least our company is very big in nonprofit work. Um, and then what's funny is how we have like one off. So like we just picked up a medical firm and we have uh, a, a doctor's office here and there. And we have uh, I'm like trying to think of like who we have on the we have a school that we take care of, you know. So like there's a there's a couple of places where 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 it does fit in. Um, and it's growing. What you think about the evolution of the ecosystem when it first, you know, let's say through the 90s and the early 2000s, when people went home, most of them still had Windows machines, they had PCs. But now those, all those lawyers who use, you know, PCs during the day for lack of choice, they now have MacBooks on the weekend and iPads in their briefcase. So it is definitely a huge, I think that the shift is, it's meant to arrive. It took a long time for things to happen in other areas of computing so we'll see how it goes i have a really funny but. lawyer ipad story though uh so when sign ipad was in its heyday i have a friend who's a lawyer in miami uh an ex-girlfriend actually who was in court and opposing counsel was like hey you should see this app it allows you to sign like affidavits and it was sign ipad and she was like oh my and like i dated this girl in like the beginning of high school like it's not like it was like a very solid relationship like, <laughs> but she goes something she says something akin to like oh my ex-boyfriend made that and he goes and the other lawyer goes oh you made a mistake you should have stayed with him <laughs> <laughs> she's like i'm a happily married person like no i'm good you know but like it's just really funny to see the like how the outreach works but for lawyers you know ipads are definitely the place to be using it um and and you know controlling all that stuff getting all your data on there and that's kind of what led them into going 
you know what, maybe I can have a Mac at home, even though I yeah. can't bill, you know, every two and a half minutes or whatever their crazy billing is. <laughs> well, and it tells you the, even in finance, this is an area that I was really deeply entrenched in was doing IT support. And yeah, like the marketing team had Macs. And then that was it. The development team came in and they started to bring in Macs and it really kind of twisted things up. Cause then you'd have apps written on Mac that then deploy onto Windows servers. And you're, I learned a lot about that world as a result of supporting developers. But then more and more, we the iPad became the differentiator because people would come in, they'd have board meetings or marketing presentations, and they would literally have 20 people show up to a meeting sit around this giant, like almost, it was almost film-like in the size of this room and, and the table with like, thunk, you know, here's 37 pages a piece printed in full color. And then they all, they look at the first page, they dig in five pages, and then they look up at the screen at the presentation, and then they leave the room with, you know, now 100 leftover sandwiches and 37 untouched piles of paper yeah and it was just such a waste and they finally started to make the jump going well what if we put it on you know let's put an ipad at each station and finally it became a thing of like well how do you mark it up aha and then this is where that the sign my ipad kind of sign my pad idea comes in where by adding the ability to do markup you cut the barrier to them using it the funny thing is no one actually marked it up they just yeah. needed to know they could, and that was that the barrier. All the time in technology, right? Like, think about think about all the things you've bought in the last two, three years, and all the like crazy questions. Can it do this? Can it do that? Can it do this? You know, like you go buy a new refrigerator, right? And they're like, it has self cooling and it has self adjustment and the shelves can move around and all this other stuff. And you're like, great, it has all the features I want. And then you get home and you put food in it, and then like. You don't care. You don't move the shells. You don't use the auto filtering, whatever. You, yeah. you realize, and you realize this when you go to clean out your fridge, and there's like moldy pickles in the back. Like <laughs> you don't. You people people like to know that they can, even though they also know they never will. And I find that part of human intrigue. Like it's so amazing to me. Just like, and I don't get me wrong. I do it all the time. Don't get me wrong. Like every time you look at a piece of. I'm looking at camera equipment, right? I had to read the spec. Does it do this? Does my Elgato key light work with one of the ladies in the box? You know, yeah. whether it's Amazon's or Apple's. Oh, it doesn't? Well, I don't want it. I want to get something else that does. I'm never going to go, hey, Siri, turn on my lights, right? Yeah. Don't you start, phone. Um, <laughs> but like, that's the thing. Like, can it? Yes. Will I ever use it? No. Why Why do I need to know that small piece of information? That's an amazing thing that humans just love to do in general. Yeah. Even when I was picking, I, I recently bought a new camera rig and I've not, I, my wife had a Nikon DSLR. It's like an old, older one, you know, and it was, I was using it instead of a webcam and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm time to, time to treat myself. And so I said, I, I looked, and I've, I'm a little weird. So I looked at black magic cameras instead of nice. Canon or Sony or whatever. And the, the thing I was torn by is 4K versus 6K. The 6K is a little bit more, but it was, the lens came with it. So in the end, it would be about the same price. But then other accessories, I started to like weigh all of the secondary options, which is what really costs money in cameras. Okay. And just like this story you said, right, is 
I was stuck with this idea of, and I, I actually talked to a good friend and he says, so what are you sending? What, what are you doing with this video? I'm like, well, I'm going to do some B-roll fun stuff. I'm going to mess around a bit more with real legit video work. But, you know, in the end, it ultimately goes up to Vimeo or it goes on to YouTube. He's like, yeah, they don't support 6K. So <laughs> save yourself the money. He's like, in five years when they support 6K, you can buy a 6K camera. He says, because it'll be say, cheaper like, then. I was going to say, like, I want a 4K camera so I can display in 720p. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, I have I have a Panasonic, I have a Lumix. Uh, oh, nice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I built up this whole rig. And I know this thing could do 4K. And I know anyone who's watching me right now, hi, isn't, you know, this is 720, maybe 1080p. They have the and, and photographers and videographers will say, no, you got to record in 4K. It makes it smoother and you can edit, do whatever. But like, let's be honest, Eric, like we're not going to edit this. Like we're going to put nope. this video up. People are going to watch me taking a drink or looking because someone just called me like that's going to go up and it's going to be raw because it's the moment and that's what you want to see. And it's going to downgrade to 1080p. You don't need a 60 camera if you're going to do this with. But yep. it's that it's that thing like, oh, I can, but I'm never going to use it. Technology requirements given by business people are the equivalent of a wedding photography video. Like it's <laughs> it's a thing that they just they put it on the list, but yeah. no one actually goes back to check it. It's I have uh, a three-hour it, wedding video I've never watched. I know I'm married. <laughs> She's here. I have two kids. Sorry. I don't. I don't, I don't I need to proof. watch the video. Yeah, it was funny. I remember my as my dad was a kid, right? You probably are around the same age where we grew up. Where it was literally slide project because my dad was yeah. big into photography, and so that would be thing. People would come over, the drinks would flow, and then out would come the, you know, like pull up the big screen, and <laughs> and, and it was like chunk, chunk, and like I was a kid, I used to love watching these things, but now you know, you just grab your phone, grab your iPad, and you just like flip through stuff, yeah. and. That would As be a great, result, that would be a great. I mean, this is a dumb app, but it'd be a great app. It's called. I'm gonna. Anyone can build this. I'm giving this one away for free. It's called Slide Projector, and what it does is it takes your photo reel and it and it and it makes that kerchunk noise and it does that like white, not white picture thing, right. white, not white picture thing, and it lets you look at your photos as if you're looking at a slideshow. This way, you can show your parents or grandma, and they'll enjoy it too. There you go, free, freebie for anyone who's listening who wants to go build that. With a white noise humming fan sound oh, in the background, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so let's talk about, I love, first of all, the title Apitalize is fantastic because it is such a beautiful way to describe what the world is becoming, right? If we think about where the focus of business is, it's in the way that we can capture and and interact with customers, with prospects, with you know partners, with employees and so the app ecosystem really spawned this new idea and what really became an immediate barrier was this the wall of well now i need to learn how to do objective c app development and then there was react native that is, is more recent and then there's other native style apps and then what was it the adobe or sorry apache cordova which was again meant to be like a cross-platform but in the end all this stuff is being done so that we could effectively capitalize our world so how did this come about and and let's talk about the book as well 
Yeah, so so when I was doing those conferences in the very beginning, I used to do a presentation called How to Succeed in the App World Without Really Trying. And so for copyright reasons, I couldn't call the book that. Um, so <laughs> basically, I took the concept of the four-hour work week and translated it into this. So so the book is it's 100 pages. It's not even like a book. It's like a, it's like a pamphlet. If you could read well, you can be done with this in like 20 minutes and be a genius, right? But what I do is I cut through all the foo-foo BS and I explain to you literally the steps on how to start any business and I use apps as a platform to book. Now keep in mind, I wrote this book in 2011. It's 10 years later and everything in the book still applies. Like maybe the wording is slightly changed, but it's literally like how to come up with an idea, how to protect your idea, how to build a WordPress website and add WooCommerce to it, how to sell your idea, how to hire interns and get college students who don't have a job to work for you for free, which by the way, has worked great for me. Like, and like how to get it out there. So all of that kind of fell into it. A lot of the book talks about outsourcing. I'm a big believer in outsourcing. I still do outsourcing. I cannot code. I can barely read or speak English. Like, <laughs> languages are not my thing. I'm sorry, mom. I'm never going to learn French. So the fact is, is that like I've, I've a lot of everything we've built, all the apps we've ever built, even the stuff that we're doing now for uh, in, that we use internally that we also sell, such as yourcomputerinventory.com or FreshBooks Time Tracker, Email Phoenix, things like that. Those are all outsourced. I, I hired a programmer to work for me, basically part time, to follow my vision. Right? I go to them with a plan uh, and say, "This is what I want to build," and I listen to their expertise on uh, how, what can be done, what can't be done, how. And I've obviously refined that whole process over the last 10 years. Now I do with my, I have a really good programmer who now lives in Tampa, Josh. Um, and we use a notion board to like translate what's going on and we'll have calls and talk about things and stuff like that. But back nice. when I first started, it was me, you know, sending a, a, a flow chart to my programmers in India, you know, and said, make me this. And they did. And that's what sign my pad basically was when we first started. Right. And I mean, there's downsides to outsourcing, obviously, whether you're outsourcing within the United States or outside, doesn't matter because whoever you're talking to is not you. So you have to be able to be able to express your ideas in such a way that they will completely understand them and be able to give you feedback on the downside with working with outsourcing to companies outside the United States, or at least in my personal opinion, is that no matter how well you express yourself, there's going to be lost. This is going to be parts going to be lost in translation. Right. Whereas my programmers in, in the United States, I've always had a better result with them, but that comes with a cost, right? So you take, you, there's goods and bads. So I, I did this whole presentation about, you know, I made $80,000 in a year selling some iPad. I only worked an extra four hours of, you know, work a week and blah, 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 whatever. And all of that is really what stemmed out. And I did it in like a five minute presentation. It's on my website. Uh, but I did all of that, and that's what stemmed out to become this 100-page guide on on how to start any business, you know. And it doesn't only have to be apps, right? Like, you can outsource literally everything. You can outsource accounting. You can outsource graphic design. So unrelated to everything I do with technology, uh, my wife and I wrote a children's book called The Sneeziest Dinosaur. 
And oh, nice. <laughs> I, it, it came from an idea that one day my wife sneezed and it sounded like she was sneezing for five minutes. And so I had this idea that I wanted to make a character that sneezed and it was going to be a fold down. It was going to be like 10 pages long with just chew. <laughs> and so my wife has a job. She's busy. I'm, I have a job. I'm busy. And we only have like a, a rough outline. So I went to Fiverr, another great website where you can like, you know, outsource people. And I paid somebody a certain amount of money and I had them just illustrate the entire book for us. Yeah. Gave those illustrations to my wife who, who, who does a lot of graphic design. It's not her job now, but she does a lot of graphic design. She put the words on it. We sent it to Amazon uh, KDP, the Kindle Direct Publishing book. Now it doesn't have the fold out like we like because you can't do that with KDP. But like now I have a children's book and I mean, yeah. I have ideas for the sequel or whatever it is. But that has nothing to do with technology. And I use the same processes here, right? I, I, I outsource the hardest parts to it, which are doing all the graphics and producing the actual book, right? Amazon KDP, you can, if you order it on, if you go to amazon.com and you look for it, they will send you a soft covered book and it will have all the graphics in it and they will print it and bind it and send it to you. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Right. So on demand goodness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that. So as I'm saying, like you can, you can take these concepts from capitalize, literally apply them to any business and they will work. What the hardest part of capitalize is, is chapter one. And that is coming up with an idea. Cause I can't say how many people have come up to me. They're like, yo, I got a great idea for an app. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go again. You yeah. know? And then they're like, what if the app farts? And then burps. And I'm like, get out of my face. Like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to be the next yo or like whatever. Like, they're like, there's some dude, you know, made this thing like, okay, I get it that there's like, you hear about these stories of Flappy Bird and like these yeah. funny things that someone made a million dollars in 30 days. Like, yeah, no, that's very, very rare. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I got this great idea for now. Uh, it's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a social network, and it's gonna be better than Facebook. I'm like, be my guest. Like, don't, don't, don't come at me with that, right? So, but you can ideally come up with a good idea, and don't get me wrong, it takes a lot of time to come up with a good idea. I have plenty of bad ones, and and then move that all the way through. Even our, even we just released our first doc, right? We're pre-ordering our second one, but we're doing our first one right now called the Virtual Doc. It's a 15-in-1 USB-C hub. Oh, sorry, doc. It's got a bunch of different ports, all this stuff. It's got QI charging on the top. Virtual Doc, love it, right? I'm not in my house soldering this stuff together, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, we found manufacturing. We outsourced all this stuff. We discussed with them where the logo is going to place, how the box is going to look, how are we going to do this, how are we going to ship it, should, the cable was too short, so we didn't want to have to re-engineer it. So we found a way to like add an extension cable. Can we get our logo on the cable? Like all of that's outsourced. And then I they send me the stuff I need. And I'm not doing Amazon fulfillment for this one, but like I can easily just drop that box off at an Amazon fulfillment center and let them handle it. Right. Right. So all of the steps are still there. I mean, with the exception of the Amazon part, like you can easily do this with any business. Yeah, and this is really the thing of, I love this idea that capitalism is broadly accessible. It used to be sort of reserved for the people with capital. And in fact, one of my favorite titles of, of a book is Nathan Lotka. And his one is How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. And it, it goes through sort of like, it's like a, a four-hour workweek style, you know, similar to sort of what you're talking about here, 
but not at all on like managing the flow, managing the product and, and actually building something. And this is where I'd love to dig in with you. How do you, how did you adapt to like being, basically becoming a product manager with a remote team and doing stuff like testing and iterating, especially now that you're in physical products, it's, it's a little bit different. So uh, Justin, I'd love to hear, you know, who's, who's easily mapping to that style of work and, and what did you learn maybe the hard you way know, along you the way? Know the secret that we don't do quality control. Um, <laughs> exactly. It lights so, on fire so, when you put it in an airplane. Yeah. So, so for the software stuff, uh, it's easy. You can actually have, you can hire companies to do QC. Um, if you're doing iOS apps, cause it's the only one that I really remember iOS apps, you can put things through, uh, it's this program called test flight. And you can actually uh, get your friends to like get the app for free through test flight and then they can test it for you. Right. There's right. ways of doing it. Um, if you're, if you're in the iOS app or I think I have Mac OS app, it does the same thing, but I think they have test flight for the Mac now. If you're in that world, you should know about test flight. It used to be a third party thing. Apple bought it and put it as part of their own thing. So you can do your own QC that way. Um, for the dock though, I went to our manufacturer and I was like, I need a minimum run because I need to test this. And I got like 10, 10 of them, right? Which is like right. the minimum we can order. And I paid for them. And then I sent one to everyone on my team. And then I sent a couple to a couple of friends who are, who do the same thing I do just in other parts of the country. Um, and I was like, and one of my friends happens to be like really big on like digging into stuff. And I was like, I want you to take it apart. And I want you to make sure that we're not sending spy devices to my to our clients, you know what I mean? Um, and and he did, and he was like, mm, "Looks clean to me." And I was like, "Well, that that's my seal of approval. Like, good enough." Nice. But like, it's you have to build it up. You can you can find companies that'll do QC for you, or you can run your own testing. It also depends on how much you trust who's building for you, right? So like yourcomputerinventory.com, which is a tool that we use, um, and it's for MSPs to provide a live inventory to clients that you, and you have to use like watchman monitoring. We have a tie in with, um, Cisco Meraki, um, Google Chromebooks and, and simple MDM as a MDM provider. And, but I trust my programmer and I've given him access to all of our tools, even though he's outsourced, but I've said to him, like, I trust you to do all this stuff and like, not to like screw up. He's yeah. like, got it. You know, but like if I were outsourcing it to another country and I was like, don't screw up, they're like, we're going to screw up. Like you have to just know what you're buying, right? If you go to the dollar store and you buy light bulbs that are called, I, I don't want to make it, I don't, like they don't say Panasonic, they say, you know, Pabasonic. Like, you know, yeah, so it's like, like some, some minor difference. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panasonic. Like, Pana <laughs> yeah. They didn't quality control that. That's not a Panasonic. Like, no, the Panasonic is an example. But, like, that's my point, right? It It's all about trust in the system and then being able to verify that. So, in my case with the doc, I wanted to make sure that my, I sent it out to my team. I sent it out to these couple other people. And I said, here's what I want you to test. I want you to test to make sure that the wireless charger works. I want you to make make sure that the ports work. I want you to see if you can like get it to explode. You know, let me know. And they all came back and they were like, this thing's great. Nice. Now it's 
There you go. If you want to send one to old disco here, I'm, I'm in dire need of it. I will definitely talk with you offline. I, I would like to be your first customer. Uh, happy to pay for one of these because I tell you, the Apple ecosystem is, they are truly the hippo with a bunch of those little tiny birds sitting on their back. And yeah. it is but both the app ecosystem, which is fantastic, as well as just the like the dongles and the hardware. And they they have really empowered people to do it because they're like, like, look, Etsy is loaded with people just doing like silicone wrappers for your ear pods. Like right. it's there is always a possibility. And this is what I love again about your your approach is like just we have to come up with an idea and then going through the flow of how do you validate and this hypothesis. And I think that's really where most people get stuck. Like you said, everybody's just like, ah, I got this great idea. It's a dating app for, for left-handed landscapers. Great. Right. It's a niche. They always say, find a good niche. And, and I know three left-handed landscapers. So I got, I already know my, my first beta, but then to just that the, the first hurdle is there of like, I don't know how to do it. And, and, you know, what are the, what are the models that you use that allowed you to go into areas where you were unsure that now let you effectively write a playbook that you can use? Yeah. So when we first did sign my pad, um, I didn't really know about outsourcing. You know, I had this idea and I know what to do. At the time my wife was working for a print company and they were getting, website work and she introduced me to a website called guru.com uh where she hired a programmer to do some web work for her company and i was like and 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 she's like there are programmers on there let's go like look and see and i didn't know anything about remember this is 2011 right like the app store had just come out right. code wasn't even like really flushed out right yep. like you didn't know what language was being written in and all i was able to do with with her was we came up with a flow chart of exactly what I want things to do. I want this button to do this thing. I want this, if they tap here, I want it to do this. And it was very simple. When the problem started is when uh, I started like adding a lot more stuff to it or not really documenting or writing it out very clearly for people. Um, now I go, now when I come up with new ideas, especially software, uh, it's, I, I always have to flow chart it because that's the best right. way to explain it to somebody else. So, but once I knew about guru.com, then I started diving into, and then I started diving into the outsourcing world. Then I found out a bunch of other ones, right? So Fiverr was new in the market. Now I don't use guru as much. I use Upwork for a lot of my programmers. Actually, yeah. if you go to our YouTube channel and you see any of our most recent videos, I found a video production person on upwork.com. I love her, Jenna. She's the best. Um, and she does all of our video editing. She makes me look nice. a thousand times better, right? So like these are the things that we can do. And you can go, go to Upwork, go to Fiverr and search for anything, right? Um, I needed for our for our video, I needed someone to do an animated intro, animated outro, whatever it was. And I needed yeah. two of them because we have two different companies, virtual computers, virtual consulting. So I went to Fiverr and they were like, it's 10 bucks to do one. And I, and I sent them a message and I said, hey, can you... Can you do a second for five more? And they were like, sure. And within a day, there it is. You know, laptop, yeah. virtual computers. And it was great. Like, I didn't, I didn't, have, and I was like, this is perfect. This is, here's my colors. I want it to be a computer. I want to have some funky music. I want some lines done, right? 
but the person I was talking to got my vision really quickly. Yeah. In those cases where they don't, you either have to cut bail and you know, cut and bail and or explain better, which is which is always a hard thing to do to realize that like, oh, I'm I'm the one who's at fault here for not explaining right. my idea better. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Uh, I don't understand why you didn't do the thing that I didn't ask you to do. <laughs> this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, I want, I want my refrigerator to have all these things that I'm never going to use, but then when I need to explain that refrigerator to somebody, I'm going to be like, it's a refrigerator, right? Like, we take in this information, we have a hard time regurgitating it back out. So, laying it all out is a huge component to it, and then, and then being able to like understand. This is a key thing. Anyone who does software should know this, and anyone who wants to get into software, here's your number one lesson. Get it out the door. Don't let the idea, the ideas keep going, and, and that will end up, uh, 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 your software will perpetually never be released because you will always be like, oh, I should do this thing. I should do this. Don't do that, right? Draw out your initial idea, have them build that, get that out the door, then work on other stuff, right? Get it and keep that flow moving. Um, I, I think that is like the lost lesson that like I can tell you, everybody should back up again and re-listen to the last 45 seconds write that down here this is, you, you don't you need don't. an you don't need an HBR you know review you don't need an MBA all of that stuff can be solved with one bloody thing just get it out and like start using it to let people touch it yeah because if you don't, you'll make the mistake I made and you'll lose $80,000 building a piece of software. Right. 80 grand I dropped on a piece of software that we were a year late because I wanted this one thing to work. It took multiple programmers. It took seven months longer than it should. And then I sold one copy for 149 bucks. Right? <laughs> I could have had a jet, but instead I built this piece of software that didn't work. So like, well, you, the, you I got, you got a page of the book too. <laughs> well, and, and luckily you know, on the other side of it, your lesson will have paid for itself. It, it was an expensive lesson, just the same one you'd maybe could have avoided in other ways, but you were able to capitalize on the learning and translate that into better methods going forward, which is why this is what always gets me when people like the four hour work week. I, I mean, Tim Ferriss even recently said, he goes, I don't even know that I would recommend it anymore. He says, the concepts are good. He says, but all the companies that I name are gone. Like all <laughs> like it's cause it's old enough, but the concepts and the methodology is still there. And a lot of times people do this. They're like, I, I get that this works for that person, you know, or like they become vloggers or whatever it is. And they always say like, but that's for them. It's not for me. Like, no, the difference between them and you is they just kept going. Like they just kept doing stuff. They wanted it bad enough that the trade-off was they did it for free longer until one day it paid. And then just like YouTubers, I mean, I somebody said to me the other day, they're like, like, I would love to just have an easy job like a YouTuber. I'm like, kid, you don't have the ability to be a YouTuber. Imagine doing three hours of content a day, original content, and then spending two to three hours editing it down, and then doing keyword research and learning all the stuff and graphics and all these things, and then doing that for a year and a half before you actually see $1,000 come in in a month. And they're like, well, that just doesn't, like, I wouldn't do that. Like, exactly. 
Somebody did though, and now they make a million dollars a month because they did it for three years and like that flywheel kicked in. But it's just a matter of take the lessons, which are actually fundamental and apply them. And like I said, this is what I love the idea of the book, like just go through it. It doesn't need to be a 700 page, you know, like a Walter Isaacson bio of, of how somebody did it. It's just like, just do these things and, and follow read, these very simple what, rules. Just read, the, read the chapter titles and just do what it says. <laughs> exactly. Like, you can be done with it in a minute. Now, looking back, Justin, you know, it, what are the things that you, because you started a lot of this and when the whole world was effectively burning down financially, which is, I always enjoy how many companies thrived in the adversity that came out of 2008. But, you know, looking back across, especially recent years, now that we've got new technology available, what would you tell yourself to do different? And, and how would that lesson probably be important to folks that are listening now? I would have told myself to get a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, here's why. Here's why, right? Being an entrepreneur is so freaking stressful. It's so stressful. Um, there's a reason I have a couch in my office. And it's not because like, oh, you get to take naps. No, it's because I like, I have to cower in fear of like, I screwed something up with a client and I have to, I have to like mull it over and get, figure out how to deal with it. And I need a place to like cry at 41 years old. Like, oh my God, right? Like, <laughs> like that's, it's, it's being an entrepreneur is, is hard. That going back to what you're talking about earlier about seeing those people on YouTube, you know, there's a lot of people who I know that are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I saw this thing on Instagram or I saw this thing on, on TikTok and this guy was, you know, making it rain. He's got the Bentleys behind him and stuff like that. And like, those aren't his and that's not his money. Like, that's right. Like being an entrepreneur, honestly, it just sucks. And I love that we teach it now because I, I didn't grow up, you know, I was born in 1980. I graduated college in 2002, They didn't teach that, right? So like now right. that we teach entrepreneurship, it's wonderful that we teach it, but like it doesn't matter because entrepreneurship really is the school of hard knocks, no matter how you look at it. Because what they're not, what they're not teaching is how to get like, physically punched in the face when a client is yelling at you because they can't connect to the server at three in the morning because they're in another country working uh on a project for a client and like it's your ass that needs to get involved to get it working right like they don't teach you that they don't teach you how to deal with that kind of stuff i wish entrepreneurship class in college was more visceral but like going back I mean, I remember when I started my business in 2008 and I was, I was, uh, I was with my parents and my mom was like, can you make $95,000 a year? Which is a big number, but again, Manhattan, right? So scale. Right, and, exactly. And, and so I said, that sounds like a big number, but like if you break it down, it was something like six or whatever it is, $8,000 a month. Can I do $8,000 a month? All right, well, let me break that down. $8,000 a month divided by 150, I can't do the math right now, is X amount of hours. Can I work X amount of hours in a month? I don't know, let's break that down. Divide that by four. Is that how many hours I need to work a week? And it turned out I only need to work like six hours a week or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, I think I can make that work, you know, or however that math rolled out. So, and then my first year, I ended up closing 120. So I was like, this seems like a good thing. The the and then was like, okay, well, how do I get more clients? How do I make it from one twenty to two forty to five hundred to a million, you know, and so on and so forth? 
And that takes persistence and emotional hardening. And I'll be the first to admit that I do not have that ladder. Like I, you know, I will spend time with my wife and be like, I screwed up. And she's like, no, you didn't, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I have a client, you know, I, I, I got a client who's mad at me. I got an employee who's upset about something. I got, you know, uh, I'm trying to close a deal and it didn't go through. And I got, I got uh, my to-do list is a million miles long and I'm, I have, notes in a notebook and notes in my notes app and notes in my to-do list and notes written on my arm and notes on toilet paper. I don't know where any of my stuff is. I have so much work to do. But at the end of the day, like if I can like get my together, like I can do it and I can succeed at it. And, and then I can say, look what I did. Right? right. And it's really great to see uh, what I've built over the time. Right. Cause like, I look back, I, you know, I keep very good metrics on my numbers and stuff like that. I look back and I go, you know, 13 years ago, I made this much amount of money and, and look at what we're doing today. And I, I went, I went from a one person company, just me on my own struggling, uh, in a studio apartment. And now I have a, you know, a nice house and I have a family and I have five, I have four employees under me. We're looking for a six. I have a programmer who we outsource from all the time. I have a video, pro I have a, I have a YouTube channel. I have a conference. I have software. I have hardware. I do consulting. I do all this stuff. Like all of it came together. And yeah, maybe I'm not making millions upon millions of dollars with my consulting business, but I'm, I'm doing really well with my, com my IT computer business. Yes. Maybe I don't have my, my jet yet, which is like this running joke for anyone who's, who knows me recently that I want to get a, I want to get a private jet that says virtual underneath it. Like, nice. Right. Like, sure. I don't have, I don't have a jet yet, but you know what, knowing that that's what I want to do. Like I, I put my nose to the grindstone and I get on shows like this one and I get on YouTube and I get the doc out there and I, and I will do things that a lot of people in my industry won't do. I get made fun of a lot in my industry for doing all these different things. A lot of people think they're, I'm all over the place. Actually, one of the things that we haven't mentioned is I do, I do, I have a funny t-shirt store, right? Through Threadless, right? I don't, I just spend five minutes or two and I throw it up there. Nice. <laughs> the reason, the reason all this stuff exists, right? Like you look at it from the outside, anyone who's listening, anyone who's watching is going, this kid is all over the place, right? He's got a conference, he's got hardware, he's got software, he's got computers, he got consulting, he's got t-shirts, he does children's books, like all this stuff, right? But maybe not the children book, but all of it's, all of it's connected. The way I look at it from my life is that it's a wheel with spokes, right? Like a 19, like a, like a, like a seventies Cadillac wheel, right? With, the, with all the lines coming nice. out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And computers the themselves, computers themselves, technology themselves is in the middle. From there, it stems off to all these different things. So what do I do with computers? Well, we take care of computers and we take care of other IT uh, professionals who take care of computers and we make software for computers. We make hardware for computers. We do a conference for IT professionals who take care of computers. We do a mastermind for those same people. Like they're all connected. I make my t-shirts are meant for IT people to wear. Like I right. literally have a t-shirt that says the league of super cables. Like it looks like the old, <laughs> you know, oh, no. remember, remember the, uh, the justice league cartoon from like the late seventies. That was classic. Like, it looks like that. It's great. I love it. Um, it's all related and, and all of these things spawned from being an IT professional. So going back to your original question, what would I have told myself? I would have told myself 13 years ago, like, 
you can do it. Stop beating yourself up over things. And here's some cool things that are coming down the pipe because everything I've done along the way, like, yes, we don't make sign my pad anymore. Any of the other iOS apps, but like that knowledge is now transferred into being able to make the apps that we use internally that we also sell like YCI and FreshBooks time tracker um, and make the doc and soon our second doc and write the book and do all this other stuff and be able to host a conference. All of that stuff stems from, from one thing before. So it's just, Take those little steps, take risks. The people in my industry, like, they don't like to take risks. They want to fix a computer, they want to go home. That's cool. I'm I'm happy that you want to do that, man. Or woman. Like, you want to go home, you want to take care of someone's stuff, go home, have dinner, pet the dog, cool. That's not who yeah. I am. And if that's not who you are, then take take advice, push the envelope. You know, just because Apple says like this doesn't work. Or you can't do this doesn't mean it, it, that's true. <laughs> Just because Windows computers, you know, have problems doesn't mean that you can't do something to make it better or make a piece of software that's going to make your job easier. That's going to make you more of a superstar for your clients, which then those clients will tell other people and then you'll get more clients. from. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different avenues you can go with it. I could talk for seven hours about this. And at the end of the day, people will walk away with one takeaway, which is you just got to push the envelope. Justin, I could I could talk to you for I, all of those seven hours and enjoy every second of it. This is really we great. Web, we yeah. should do a web. We should do like one of those Jerry Lewis style, like webathons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it is the power of the creator. You know, whatever it is, we call them entrepreneurs. We call them you know, whatever they are, it, it's, it's fantastic. And you've, you've proven out the value of your approach. I've got a huge respect for you and, and what you're doing. And I'm definitely going to send as many folks as I can your way. So Justin, for folks that want to get connected, what's the best way to do so? Uh, just go to virtualconsulting.com. From there, you can find all of our businesses. You can find the doc, you can find the t-shirts, you can find the conferences, you can find IT. Go to about, you'll find me, you'll see all the all the podcasts I've been on, you can reach out to me that way. Everything's at virtuaconsulting.com. You are a, a prolific gentleman and you're a fantastic person to chat with, Justin. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for spending the time today. It.